Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So I was in the shower. I was cleaning my ass and making all the stairs all sparkly. Thank you, Clinton. I'm not the funny one. I'm the pretty one. Cock shots. <laughs> I just checked myself out. The glory hole is like a, a like dick theater. I imagine you're going to do Which means your pants had better come off. Mama needs playtime. We're not sluts. We just love love. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another week here at By the By. Hello. Hope you all doing well out there. Yes, out in podcast land. Yeah. So we are back this week with a very special episode. Yeah, but I'm excited be- for this one. Yeah, but before we get into it, we have our next pendulum party. I'm excited to get into that too. When? February. February 9th. Niner. Yeah, 9th. The Niner. Yeah, so if you want to join us at our pendulum, please do. You can go to our Secret Spots website and get tickets, and I will post a link on our website as well. Yes. Yeah. So excited. I know. It's going to be fun. It's our first pendulum party of the year. 2024-some. Ooh. Is that what we're going for? <laughs> yeah. Nice. A All right. 2024-some. <laughs> or at least a 24-some. Let's see what we get to. I'll be happy with a foursome. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. We'll see if we can set any world records, you know. That's right. Yep, world yep. records. Remember those episodes? Yeah. All right, so this week, we're just going to jump right into it. We're yes, I'm excited, waste any this time. is good. Yeah. So this week, we were fortunate enough to interview Robert Brooks Cohen from the Two By Guys podcast, and he has written a book. The book is called Bisexual Married Men, Stories of Relationships, Acceptance, and Authenticity. Spoiler alert. It's a good book. Yes. And he's very cute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think that... The second part has anything to do with the book, no. but those eyes are burned into my yeah. soul. Oh, he had beautiful eyes, didn't yes. he? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah. But we digress. We were able to interview Robert Brooks Cohen uh, about his book and podcast, uh, mostly about the book, and it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah. And now, now we get to share it with you. All right. We are here with Robert Brooks Cohen. And Robert, mm-hmm. you just, well, like there's a lot about you. Like let's start with the with the <laughs> basics. If nobody knows who you are, which they should because you've run a podcast now for the last little while, four or five years, tell us more yeah. about uh, the Two By Guys podcast. Yeah, so I started the Two By Guys podcast in 2019. Uh, I had just started coming out. I met my friend Alex at this bi discussion group in New York. He had identified as gay. I had identified as straight. And we had sort of met met in the middle at, <laughs> at the bi group. And just like we really connected, even though we came at it from different angles, we really connected and we were thinking about it the same way and always wanting to talk more about this stuff and with other people. We just really liked the discussion group that we were part of. So we 
decided to do more of it and do it as a podcast. And at the time, like your podcast, I remember it existing and I remember checking it out. And it was really one of the only very, very few podcasts that was addressing bisexuality. And, you know, we just wanted more of it. And we wanted to talk about the issues of masculinity and bisexuality and like focus on that. Um, I think a lot of the podcasts available at the time were, were hosted by women. And so we just, you know, wanted to talk more and do that. And so we, we started it then the pandemic happened. Alex got another job at the Trevor project and he um, kind of moved on from the podcast, but I've kept it going since. And uh, I interview different bi, pan, fluid people or people with something to say about fluid sexuality or non-monogamy. Like it's expanded a little, but it's all about fluidity and the Mm -hmm. spectrums of sexuality. That's awesome. I Uh, love it. Yeah. So so fantastic. Because like you said, there's not enough voices out there, particularly from a male perspective. So it's great. The more we can get out and the more people can hear it and see it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and there have been more since then. Like, since we started, more have come out. And I, I love it. I feel like we can't have too many. The more, the merrier. I will say that something that Angela just said I found kind of shocking. Uh, there's not enough from the male perspective. I'm like, whew, you can't say that about many Ooh. things, but you can say it about this. <laughs> Fair enough. <It's> true. Fair enough. <laughs> That's true. Men, men can take a backseat yeah. in most areas, but this is like the one where we're actually underrepresented. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I love it. Um, so all this, all, the reason you're here and all this started, well, not the only reason you're here. We actually wanted to talk to you, but is uh, you reached out to us about a book that you've written and immediately mm-hmm. we were intrigued and excited. So tell us about Bisexual Married Men, Stories of Relationships, Acceptance, and Authenticity. Yeah, I'm glad you're excited about it. It, may, it probably applies to you. <laughs> I mean, just a wee bit. <laughs> <laughs> we tried to go with the very straightforward title so people would immediately know, like, is this for me? You know, yes or no. So I'm glad you're excited. The book very much came out of the podcast. And something I realized doing the podcast was that, you know, people liked all different kinds of topics. We, we talked to sex workers, we talked to artists, but the topic that resonated the most by far was whenever we talked about bisexual men who are married to women and we would get all these messages from people. And a lot of people would say, Hey, I'm married to a woman. I came out to her last year, or I'm not out to her. How can I do that? Or, mm-hmm. I've been out to her for 20 years and it's great. And thank you for talking about this, but just wanting to share their story. And what I realized is like this experience is incredibly common and also incredibly invisible. Mm -hmm. Like there were so many listeners who engaged with it. And I don't know that many of them have an outlet to hear those stories or talk about their own other than when we started talking about it on the podcast. And so I, and that's why they were reaching out to me. So, you know, in the, in the pandemic, I started thinking about that and why is this topic resonating and like, what could I do with that? I was also thinking about getting married at the time. Uh, and, and as it turns out, I did get married right in the middle of working on this project in 2021. And so it was just like on my mind that I was curious to hear from these guys and hear their stories and 
hear how they navigated relationships, you know, as a bi person, but in a straight passing relationship. So basically the book is an oral history. It's 13 interviews with bi guys who are or were married to women. And most of it is their words. I, I interviewed them. I, I like transcribed it. I edited it. I put it in different order. So it, you know, is dramatic narratively, you know, I wanted to make these stories like engaging and have an arc. And, and then I comment on it a little bit and give my own analysis and interpretation, but most of it is just their stories in, in their own words. And I just really wanted to sort of combat the invisibility of that experience because bi men are the most closeted in the mm-hmm. queer community. According to many, some statistics, only about 12% of bi men are out to most people. And most bi men also end up in relationships with women. Right now, it's about the same percentage. It's about 88% end up with women. And there, we, there, we can talk about the reasons for that, but people assume they're straight uh, when you're in that relationship. And, and it works both ways. And uh, so I just really wanted to like dig into that experience and get into the nuances of it and the, the real challenges and joys of it as opposed to what people think this experience is like which is a whole other can of worms. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've, we've seen exactly what you're talking about. We've talked about it before the down here in Sydney, we have uh, fair day before our big Mardi Gras and fair day is a, is a wonderful festival of queerness. And the number of times Angela and I've walked in holding hands and you were immediately sometimes verbally judged by younger, mm-hmm. uh, younger folk, because they're like, you know, this place would be great if it weren't for all the straight people. And that problem yeah. of we're only seen as a snapshot rather than a whole picture. Right. And it's, right. it is, it's something that's, it's tough, right? How do you fix that? Like it can't, is that fixable? Right. And I think the, it, it comes from having conversations with people and, and books like what you've written so that people can see that perhaps we need to look deeper than just the surface. Which I think is true anyway. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it makes total sense. I'm like, I hope that that's changing and people aren't making these assumptions that you're a straight couple just because you appear to be male and female. Like, I hope that stories like this and this book sort of help us move beyond that and help people realize that, you know, there's sexually fluid people hiding in plain sight and not even hiding. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. They're, they're all, we're all there. You just kind of, don't make assumptions. Um, yeah. Just because you can't see what I'm doing with my genitalia doesn't mean I don't do it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If you had, if everyone had to see exactly what you were doing, it would be, uh, be a great a only interesting fa- world. It'd be a great only fan site. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Prove it. Prove it. I'm going to be rich. I'm not. <laughs> So you made a comment as you were talking about the stories is that many of the men that you interviewed are married or were. So are some of the people that you interviewed, are they now not with their partners or what does that look like as far as the relationships between them and their partners? Yeah, uh, I, I would, I don't remember the exact number, but out of 13 majority are still together, but there are at least three or four that I'm, I can think of four right now. So I'm going to say it's about four that are not, I should know the answer to that. But, um, and in some of the cases, like bisexuality did sort of drive a wedge in there. And 
We don't know if that's the entire reason, but those issues did come up as they were renegotiating their relationship. And every story is a little different. So it's almost like I can't draw overall conclusions. In one of them, the guy came out to his wife and that started a process that sort of eventually led to them getting divorced, which he says now is the right decision. He's happy about, but he was very locked into that marriage. And I think coming out sort of exposed other things that were not ideal. And I think his wife also wasn't so comfortable with him being by. Another one, a guy came out to his wife and she was very supportive, even though a bit confused, uh, but supportive of the identity. But then, and, and everything seemed okay at first. And then over time, he kind of realized he did want to explore with men and, you know, didn't want to not ever have those experiences that he had had a little bit in childhood, but not really. And that wasn't going to work for her. And they actually have quite a loving relationship and they're co-parenting their kids. And like, they're sort of moving forward as partners of some kind, but they are getting divorced and they're not going to be married and living together. So like, they described it to me as the container for their love is changing, but there's still a lot of love and, you know, it's just going to be different. I love that description. That's so good. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and I just loved that they really confronted it and analyzed it and figured out what was right for them, even though it was probably really hard because there's so much love there still. And, you know, uh, another couple I'm thinking of separated, but, bisexuality was never part of it. Everyone was accepting the whole time they separated for other reasons. So I think something I did learn is guys coming out to their wives often is like a scapegoat for their relationship ending. But actually what's happening is like they're forced to confront some hard truths and it's not just a bi identity. It's like, Oh, then other, once you start having hard conversations, other things come up too. And it's also like, well, why couldn't you tell me everything before? Why, you know, how can we rebuild trust and be open with each other? And some some people figure out how to do that. And many couples, the guy came out, it was rocky for a bit. They stayed and they figured it out and stayed together. And other couples, it sort of leads to other things. And it's not, they're not breaking up because the guy's by, but that conversation leads to other things and maybe it wasn't the right partnership to begin with. Yeah. It's, it's something that I definitely identify with my ex-wife and I, when I came out to her, that was the catalyst. Right. And you're right. It was because now we can see through maybe the veneer of everything is perfect, but we finally hit something that she couldn't change about me. I couldn't change about me. And it got us talking about other things. And then we just sort of realized that maybe we aren't the ideal match for one another. Right. Exactly. It it just gets you talking about everything. But right? then, like yeah. it's, but again, yeah, going back to what we were saying anymore. before, the unfortunate thing is everybody on the outside looks at it and goes, oh, they broke up because he's bi. Right. And so it, right. again, we're seeing right. a snapshot rather than the whole image. And rarely is it just one thing that breaks apart a marriage. Yeah. Right? Oh, gosh, it's, no. Yeah. It's not that. Two people right. to succeed, two people right. to fail. That's yeah. what it takes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And by, by queer, you know, queerness or sexual fluidity is such an easy scapegoat from the outside to say, Oh, that's what happened. But you're right. I mean, it's, I think if that's part of the equation, it's never 
just that. And it's often more other stuff than that. So what was your process by which to get fellas and couples to talk to you? Well, at the beginning, it was like the middle of 2020, the summer of that, you know, the first summer of the pandemic. And like, I had been getting messages from these guys saying, thanks for talking about this topic. I'm a bi married guy and whatever, you know, telling their story. And so at first I literally just wrote back to some of them and I was like, it's the pandemic. I'm bored. I don't know what, like I had paused the podcast cause I didn't even know what to do with the podcast. And I was like, could I just interview you about what you just said? You know, your story, your marriage. And like seven people said, sure. And so I did it. And I really had no idea what it was for. I told them, I was like, I don't know what this is. It could be part of the podcast. It could be a book. It could be an audio series, some whatever. I didn't know. Um, and seven people participated. They didn't care what it was. They were like, I'll tell you my story. And I, and I thank them so much for like getting this ball rolling and being vulnerable with their stories. And then I kind of sat on it for a year, not knowing what to do with it, not like fully realizing it was a book. I tried sort of editing it in different ways that I didn't like. Finally, a year later, or maybe even two years later, I wrote up a book proposal using those stories. I found a publisher, Rutledge. I found an editor who loved the idea. They actually had a book about bi married women that had done well, but they didn't have one about bi married men. So they were like, perfect, let's do that. And then I said, once we got the book deal, I want to do a few more interviews. I don't think seven is enough. So I put out a call on Twitter, you know, I got the book deal. I'm, I'm going to do a few more interviews for this book, you know, sign up here if you're interested and tell me a little about your story. And I got over 150 responses wow. to that, to <laughs> that call. So somehow between 2020 and 2022, you know, I basically put it out on the same Twitter page. So many more people either had found us or were willing to do it or, you know, just wanted to share their story. And I went through the 150. Like, I, I want to do more with that group of people in this database I have. But I basically picked six people who had it, stories that sounded interesting and stories that sounded different from what I already had. And so it's not a scientific study. I, I hand-selected stories that I thought would be interesting for some reason. But um, but yeah, that was how I found people. There was, there were more than enough who wanted to share. That's fantastic. Yeah. What kind of age range do you have? Um, The youngest is 30 and the oldest is now 60. I think he was 59 when I, when we did the interview. So, so it's mostly millennials and Gen X. And then I think the, the 60 is the only technically boomer. And I, you know, I, I kind of was looking for a couple more older guys, but it was a little bit harder to find in that database. And there weren't many younger than 30 either. Maybe there were one or two, but it was mostly millennials and Gen X. I, I'm curious, maybe the younger people in their 20s are just not married yet. That's probably true. And this is about married people. I wonder also if maybe the, the younger generation is just fluid or non-binary or no label and they're less into like finding a bisexual podcast. 
maybe they don't need that because they're already just queer. Yeah. I don't know. That I was, that was actually, you just answered my next question, which was anecdotally, do you think it's because the younger generation just doesn't need it? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, honestly, if, if that's the reason, that's great. I hope so. (laughs) I, I think many, many of them are like that where it's like, they don't even need to talk about being bi because it's just more assumed that everything is a spectrum and everything is an option and whatever. But I also think that that's a really progressive subset of Gen Z and many of Gen Z is still living and growing up in areas where they're not learning about all this fluidity. And so as much as there are probably trailblazers in that generation, I still think talking about this stuff is going to be important for Mm -hmm. for many more years to really change everything. Oh, for sure. hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. So what was the experience like when you were interviewing folks? Did you find that they were very willing to talk and easy to open up? Or did you feel like you kind of had to dig a bit? I guess, because I would assume that if people volunteered for this, they'd be a bit more open. But sometimes you never know when you actually get started and get into it. Yeah, I think people were, you know, they volunteered, so they were willing to open up to a certain extent. And I learned a lot about myself as an interviewer doing it like I do think unlike my podcast interviews where I kind of focus on the work and focus on publicly available stuff I leaned into people's energy and people's like comfort or discomfort Mm. I I always told everyone like I can edit anything out whatever you say I will send it to you before we publish you can cut anything you want you know I made them feel really safe to Mm. open up and they could choose and have consent of what's in there. And barely, I don't actually think anybody took me up on that in the end, but I maybe little things like take the name of this thing out or, you know, don't say where I worked or whatever, but the vulnerable stuff that I got them to open up about all stayed in. And I would, you know, if if I could tell that something was difficult for them, I I kind of tried to lean into that and ask them and say, like, I noticed this is like hard for you to talk about. Like, why do you think that is? Or, you know, tell me more about your family if, if they were kind of glossing over it. Uh, so I actually, something I learned doing it is what I was doing is sort of very close to life coaching. Like we weren't coming up with like plans for what to do, but we were exploring all of their thoughts and feelings surrounding these difficult issues. And so I'm actually currently in a life coach training program and I'm going to start offering coaching. I love and it. what I realized in the program is like, I was basically doing 80% of what coaching is doing these interviews. Cause I was just asking questions that people hadn't fully considered. And some of them after have come to me, like I'm thinking of one, the young guy, he was telling me like, I think it's in a podcast episode. He was saying like, you know, I was comfortable with my bisexuality, but I learned a lot doing the interview with you because you've been through it. So you asked me things that I didn't know to even think about yet. And for me, I was just like, I'm just asking you what I'm curious about, but he's right. Like, because I had been through it a little bit for a few years, I did ask things that maybe they hadn't really considered or didn't think were important. And so it it helped them reflect and most of them were really open and vulnerable about a lot of stuff. 
And I also changed their names. So that m- maybe made them feel more free to speak openly. Incognito. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's amazing what we will say when we uh, don't think that anybody knows what we'll say, both positively <laughs> and negatively, really. I mean, so true. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Looking again through your lens of your own experience in bisexuality, did you find that you were learning more about yourself and your own past experiences and then possibly future experiences by talking to these to these guys? Yeah. Oh, totally. Like, I, I, I'm i glad this book is out there and like, I'm glad I got a book deal and everyone can read it. But like, I honestly wrote, did the interviews because I wanted to and I wanted to hear them. And I felt like I needed to because I didn't know what these marriages were like and I was about to enter into one and I and I really just didn't know what people dealt with typically or how they negotiate or what comes up because there were so few bi men I knew who are married to women who are out like I don't even know that I can think of many that most of the bi men I know who are married are married to men which is which is not statistically there are fewer of them but that's just who's in my world and Mm. the bi men married to women are mostly not out. So doing the interviews definitely solidified like my conception of my own bisexuality and what queerness means to me. It also helped me reflect on like why it's important to me. And some of that was by seeing what's missing from some of these guys' lives. Um, And they realized it too, talking to me, but having an outlet to talk about this stuff and having other people who identify that way that you can connect with. A lot of them were missing that and it was really hard for them. And it reminded me of what it was like for me before I came out. And so even though like, I, I know that community is important and everything, it just like reiterated that to me and that that would be a really important thing going forward in my marriage. Um, and then the other big thing that I learned from, from them, I mean, there's probably many things, but the, the other thing that comes to mind immediately is about what defines a successful marriage or a successful relationship. And I think even when I started this project, I was locked into this idea that the only successful relationships are the ones that last till someone dies. Uh, and success means you stay together. And I was going to separate this group into like those that stayed together and those that didn't and see like, you know, what the differences were. And like, it's more complicated than that. And many of the guys that like some of the guys I'm thinking of that are not with their wives anymore, like had a really successful relationship. And I love that they view it that way and that I can see it that way too. And sometimes, I mean, I don't think this is the case with, the people in my book, but you never know. Sometimes people who stay together, it's not necessarily successful if they're not being totally open and communicative with each other, or, you know, if it's, if they're not addressing Hmm. certain things and there's resentment or whatever, like it's not necessarily an accomplishment to keep it going if it's not working. So it really helped me kind of redefine like what is important in a marriage for me um, and, you know, what what will it mean to have a successful marriage? And 
I feel like mine is a success now, even though I don't know if it will last forever. And we haven't actually committed to that with each other. My partner and I, we love each other and we've sort of like, I don't can't foresee myself ever not loving her. Uh, I think we'll both love, you know, we've sort of committed to loving each other forever, but we don't know what form that relationship will take. Like we we're still figuring that out and renegotiating it and checking in. And I kind of like that, even though it's not what most sort of traditional successful couples do. It's interesting because I think it's, it's not what society tells you you should do. Yeah. But one of the things that for Angela and I, we are constantly reassessing and constantly mm-hmm. examining the relationship to be like, is this still a six? Do both of us still consider this successful? Do both of us still see mm-hmm. value in it? And do both of us still want to put effort yeah. into it? Yeah. Are you still getting out of it what you need and what, you know, are we still happy with the way things are together? Because we as individuals grow and change over time and our relationship grows and changes over time. And we would hope that that would happen together, but it may happen at some point that that doesn't. And and so it is, like yeah. you said, I do think it's good to have your check-ins and to reevaluate and to see, is this still something that we're happy with? And if not, then I would rather we be able to grow and, and continue our lives in a good way. And and you said right. something that I really like, which yeah. was we've committed to loving each other yeah. for, for, for life. Mm. And like, and I, that's the way I see it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we'll always be together, yeah. but it means that we'll always love right. one another. And yeah. sometimes that whole adage of if you love something, set it free kind of thing, which sounds yeah. wanky yeah. as hell, but it's still kind of accurate. Mm. Yeah. I love yeah. it. It's great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if it's not, if being together is not, ideal for me or her like i i want what's best for both of us and even if we de-escalate the relationship that doesn't mean it, we don't love each other yeah. like yeah we're I, yeah i agree the con the the constant reassessing is both a burden but also it leads to a more authentic connection like it's worth it's worth the effort to yeah. me and I do think if you're, and this might just be, you know, me trying to be optimistic, but I do think if you're constantly reassessing that you're then more likely to grow together as opposed to growing apart yeah. Yeah. because you're at least, yeah. you know, having those check-ins and you're, you can shift and, and kind of micro you know, adjustments yeah. rather than macro adjustments. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. And you do, and you don't get comfortable, mm. uh, which, which, and then complacent and then not Lazy. addressing <laughs> your partner's needs or, or your own. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's I actually, good. I, I quoted Jessica Fern, who wrote Polysecure in my book, and I just love this thing she says about polyamory where, like, you know, a lot of people value monogamy because that person is always there for them and you can expect it and, like, you never have to question if they're going to be there, which, A, is not true. Anyone can leave (laughs) a relationship, whether it's monogamous or not, but, but that's how it feels. It's like, okay, this is stable. And what Jessica talks about is that there's actually joy in the instability of polyamory. And I agree because my partner doesn't have to be here and we haven't made a a monogamous commitment. And therefore every day we are together, I know she's choosing that and she doesn't have to choose that. She has other choices. And so it makes me value the, the choice that she is making to be with me even more so because it's not a given and I don't take it for granted. That's fantastic. I love, I love that. It. I love that way of looking at yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. 
well, that actually leads into uh, one of the other questions I had, which was with the fellows that you spoke to, how many of them were in monogamous relationships and how many of them were in open relationships and how many of them were cheating on their partners? Hmm. Good question. I should know the exact numbers on this too. <laughs> you can it's guess. 13, I should just know, but it's, <laughs> but I'll give you a rough estimates. Like most of them are monogamous still. I would guess about eight or nine out of 13 probably are monogamous. A few of those tried non-monogamy for some amount of time and then went back to monogamy. A few of them are like 99% monogamous, but like if the right person came along, they're open to a threesome or things like that. And then there's like maybe four or five that are not monogamous. Two or three that did involve cheating. And all of those, well, actually one of those marriages is still going on. One of them and the other two ended. Um, so, so cheating is not, is not good for continuing the marriage. The, oh, no. Even the one that is going on, he's like, it's a little fuzzy in that story. Um, how much everyone knows about everything and what, yeah. what's really going on there. Yeah. So so there was cheating in a couple and, and that for a few of them and that didn't always work out well. Um, then there's non-monogamy that is ongoing and that is stable. And I'm trying to now think of how many I can. So there was one guy in the book who was in a relationship with two women and they were never technically married, but I put them in the book anyway, because they lived together as a throuple for a while. So that's sort of non-monogamous and it was built into their relationship. Mm. It worked out. They ended up not staying together, but it seemed amicable um, and there was no cheating or anything. Another couple was they met at a buy play party. And so they were out immediately to each other and were, they were non-monogamous from like from the moment they met. And they're actually quite monoromantic, but non-monogamous sexually. So they have sex with other people, but they don't usually have romantic relationships. They have emotional connections as they say, but not necessarily romantic. Now I'm trying to think, are there any sort of really poly couples like who have dates with other people? Um, I'm not sure in the book now that I'm thinking about it. Um, Sounds like a I sequel. There's a couple of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I talked about, I did talk about my marriage cause I, cause that's how we are. My partner and I are both, dating other people, sex with other people, we're, we're kind of open to all of it at the moment. Um, but yeah, I'm, now I'm blanking on if anyone in the book is like that or if it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a range of, of monogamy to non-monogamy in the book, but it still was majority monogamous. Yeah. I mean, it's good to for people to read books like this and be able to, like the whole goal of it is to see yourself in this narrative and to have a wide variety of people so that you can then find yourself or find someone similar to you and then see the other ways that people are behaving. Yeah. I was gonna say, I think it's good yeah. to be able to see yourself in, in a book like this, but I also think it's good to show alternatives because many times we don't know that there's another option unless we're exposed yeah. to it. And how else do we get exposed to it other than through media like this? Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Right. And that's, I tried to sort of have a range of experiences. So there's a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. So people could see like, what are the options and, 
And now that I'm thinking about it, there are a couple more like monogamish couples that are kind of mostly monogamous, but occasionally play outside. And, and also interestingly, like every guy that came out to his wife, they ended up talking about non-monogamy, whether they tried it or not. So whether, whether it's because they wanted to talk about it, the guy, or whether it's because their wife made an assumption that mm-hmm. they would want to be non-monogamous, it always became a topic of conversation if the guy was coming out to his wife. And so it's like whatever – I always feel like the more I get into polyamory, it's like whatever you want, you should at least talk about it and not be monogamous by default. Because even if you talk about it and you want monogamy, that's totally fine. But talk about why and talk about what feelings come up when you think about non-monogamy and like work through those. It's like so much better to confront that stuff than to just do monogamy by default and have thoughts in your head that you're not really expressing to your partner. Yeah, I do love that they had those conversations because like you said, then if even if they stay monogamous, They've had that conversation and they know that they're actively choosing this. That this is what they both actively want. And right. it is better than the default and making the assumption. And then somebody's always wondering, but what if, or like, do they yeah. really want this or do they not? And so, yeah, having that active conversation, I love it. It's a, yeah. I feel like it's a must. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And for some of some people, it, that period is difficult because it's hard to really trust that if the, if the bi guy says, you know, no, I don't need to explore this. I just want you to know, mm. and I want to be monogamous. That can be hard to to fully believe right away. And so I'm thinking of one couple, especially where like it was a few years of he was saying that and she was like, but are you sure? But what if you want to? But mm. what if you want to and you wouldn't want to tell me? And, you know, they had to just keep talking about it a lot. Yeah. And I feel like they got to this place where she believes him and trusts him, but it just takes a lot of communication. Communication, communication, communication. <laughs> yeah, I know. I wish there was like an easier way, but, well, but it's the only way. It's funny because, yeah, I, I I do agree. If, if we could just like mind meld, it'd be great. But like there's something, I find the communication is, while sometimes uncomfortable, is often fun. And the result of it is great. It's, you know, it's like working a garden. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't know how yeah. to work gardens, but like, I imagine it's like working a garden. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, once you, once you get used to having a t- these tough conversations, then you're not as scared of them anymore. And when new things come up, you can address them. And so I do feel like a lot of the people in this book, either they realize their marriage wasn't for them and they're out of it or their marriage is strengthened no matter mm. what, like yeah. whatever they went through getting through it all strengthens their bond. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care 
a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Is all this enthralling bisexual talk making you think bye, bye, bye? Well, if it is, Go to adamandeve.com and use checkout code by the by B-Y-T-H-E-B-I, and you'll get 50% off one of the items in your cart. You'll also get free shipping, six videos on demand, and some extra goodies just thrown in the box. That's right. If you're looking to buy, 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 well, there's no better place to do it than 90s music. No, adamandeve.com. Use checkout code by the by B-Y-T-H-E-B-I. You've heard us talking about it so many times. We've had a few people on our Discord that have gotten their own version of Curious Humans Game. In fact, somebody just this week got one given to them as a birthday present. And happy birthday to you. I mean, if you want to just spoil yourself and get it for your own, go to CuriousHumansGame.com. Use checkout code by the by for 10% off. It's an amazing game. There's amazing packs and uh, lots of variations for your naughty friends and your family. Find a version that suits you. CuriousHumansGame.com So throughout the entire experience of writing the book, what was something that really surprised you about either the men or the experience or yourself? Well, I guess there's a couple things. You can, can have never, more than one. It's fine. I can never just have one. <laughs> hey, that's at least two. Stop being so stereotypical. <laughs> I am the most stereotypical guy. I always need two or more. Um, okay, one one surprising thing. I, actually, in hindsight, like it shouldn't be surprising, but it but it is. Is that pretty much everyone I interviewed had like a non-conforming relationship with masculinity, especially growing up. And so like I asked everyone about their childhood, a lot of people talked about not fitting into that masculine box, having feminine interests that were considered feminine, maybe sometimes people thinking they were gay because of that. And I connected with that very much. And I for some reason, when I started the project, I just didn't anticipate that that would be a universal thing for bi men. I, I just like didn't fully connect it. And I think I still don't 100% understand the connection. And it's, it's different for everyone. And gender is different than sexuality, obviously. And like, it, just because you're bi doesn't mean you're not cis. But there's some kind of relationship between fluid sexuality and, and the gender spectrum. And there's something that comes along with like, you know, being bi or pan or fluid is like, you have to reimagine gender in some ways. Um, you have to sort of go against the mold and go against what we're taught about gender, at least in some way in order to like accept your own sexual fluidity. And I think that leads to then looking at gender as a spectrum also. 
And I, and I think what I learned is it also works in reverse that like, even if we don't realize what that means to not conform to masculinity or femininity growing up, like it's something we're aware of and it's something that like affects who we are. And then I think those things that I noticed about my gender helped me on the path to being bi and helped me realize that that was true about me too and, and helped me come out. So I realized that like, that's important for me too. And that I, I identify as a cis man. I don't identify as non-binary. For me, I think my sort of place on the gender spectrum is like pushing the bounds of masculinity rather than identifying differently. But I think this book sort of helped me remember that, that, that that's important too, that exploring my gender is important and that it's connected to my sexuality and that like it's all part of this same conversation in a way. I guess the other, the only other thing I that was surprising was like, and also shouldn't be surprising, but every guy I interviewed who came out was happy that they did come out, even when it led to things that were not what they thought they wanted. So even when coming out led to the end of their marriage, they don't regret coming out. Like whatever was happening before where they couldn't talk about it, that was worse. And so like there's that. And then there's just people looking for outlets to talk about it and looking for other queer people to connect with or especially bi people to connect with. I think what that taught me about myself is not taught me. It just made me really appreciate where I am and what I've been doing. And it made me realize that like, yeah, I like doing this podcast and putting it out there and getting download numbers and getting a book deal, whatever but it's actually benefits me so much. And I get so much out of talking about this stuff, even however many people listen to it. I benefit from talking about this stuff and working through my feeling, you know, there's that old joke or meme of like, do you see a therapist? No, I have a podcast, <laughs> uh, you know, but like it, I hope it helps other people, but it has really been beneficial for me too. And I think, doing the book made me realize, oh, I'm actually really lucky that I have this outlet. And and I did create the space. So like mm-hmm. I did a lot of work to get to it, but I'm but I'm really lucky that it exists and that I get to keep doing it. That's fantastic. Uh, it's you know just touching on what you what you've said. Masculinity, I hear it. I I yeah, absolutely. Tenuous relationship with it. Consider myself cisgendered, of course, but love pushing boundaries because of expression. Right. And I think one of the reasons that sexuality and gender do go hand in hand is how do you express yourself? How do you entice people who you are attracted to, to, to want to have a relationship with you, no matter how long uh, Mm -hmm. short or long it is. And part of that is the expression of your gender identity. And it's funny when you said that something struck me. So I, I, you know, I'm right on that line of, furry pet play. I love, I I definitely consider myself a pet, maybe not be a furry just yet because I can't afford the suit. But um, (laughs) when I was a kid, one of the things I remember getting yelled at the most for in the grocery store was pretending to be a dog. (laughs) And when I say a kid, I was probably like 12. (laughs) I was old enough to know better than to pant and run around with my arms up like this, like a little velociraptor. Um, And Uh now I'm like, holy shit. You said that. And that was the first thing I thought of. I was like, wow, huh, I've always been amazing. Interesting. <laughs> interesting, interesting. 
we should dive into that deeper. Um, <laughs> Interesting. But then, yeah. Uh, also talking about being able to help others, like we've always said it that you know the world we need more lighthouses. Mm-hmm. The the world that mm-hmm. we often walk through is very foggy, very dark, and we need people who are beacons of light. Mm-hmm. And the those of us who are fortunate enough to be in a position where we can raise our flag and shake it around and be proud and out. That's great. And not everybody has that opportunity, but it is a, such a delight to hear that these men who have come out are happier and better because of it. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I love that metaphor of the lighthouse. That's really great. And and it reminds me of Robin Oaks, I think, talks about being a beacon. Yes. Mm. Uh, she uses that word. Um, yeah. And yeah, I agree. Like, it's so affirming to hear that even the guys who like, there were unintended consequences that they're still happy they came out. It really just reinforces to me the value of authenticity and that if you're not being yourself and if you don't love yourself, as RuPaul says, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? (laughs) Like what is even the point of working on other stuff if you don't have that um, baseline and if you can't really feel like you can be yourself? And so, yeah, like when people look back, even if they had a quote perfect marriage, you know, that looked amazing from the outside, if they couldn't be themselves inside of it, it, it doesn't matter how perfect it is or how much money you have or what, like you could have everything and it's not, it's not worth it. I yeah, think I agree. Yeah. Agreed. So what's next? Where are you going next? Movie deals, <laughs> <laughs> television series. Well, I, I mean, I am a TV writer, so I wrote for Law & Order SVU for seven years. And uh, I do, you know, I, I've been doing the podcast, but I've also been working on scripted stuff. And one of the things I have written is a pilot based on this book. It's sort of an amalgamation of multiple stories. It's not one specific story, but it's basically about a bi guy who comes out to his wife it sort of throws a wrench into their relationship and they have to navigate it and they open up their relate. They end up opening up their relationship and exploring non-monogamy. And so that's, you know, that's the premise. And I, I do hope to sort of push that forward with the book. Um, Cause I think that's, it's not a story I've seen told the way that I would want to tell it often by people in TV are kind of sensationalized or turned into like, sex objects or or maybe the dramatic question is like will they choose a man or a woman in the end (laughs) it's like that's not what most bi people deal with what most bi people deal with is like how do we express our queerness in a straight passing relationship or like how do we negotiate who's gonna have their date at our apartment and who's gonna go to their other date's apartment or like I don't know. Other like what what is allowed on a date? Uh, how do we with sit in a chair? People? Like, <laughs> yeah, how do we sit in a chair? That that too. So the struggle is real. So I want to write. <laughs> I want about write about like the reality of that stuff. Yeah. So so I'm hoping to include this topic and stuff in my dramatic writing. I'm also writing other things on you know for TV about trans identities and queerness and Judaism and how all of that and fetish and kink I'm writing a script about the intersection of all those things that I really like. Um, it's called dirty Jew. I can say that. I I love it. Um, (laughs) And, 
but then also something I realized with the book is people want more of these stories. And so like I have a database of 150 people who want to share their story and I'm sure there would be more. So I don't know what's next in terms of the book series. And I don't know my publisher Rutledge. I'm sure they'll have to see how this book sells before they decide if they want to do another one with me. But I also am looking into self-publishing. I feel like telling these stories in, in different forms is useful and valuable and something I want to keep doing. So I don't exactly know yet, but I'm going to continue the podcast and I'm going to continue sort of exploring this space of getting these queer stories out there. I love it. I think that's like, number one, I am excited and jealous but excited, jealous in a positive, supportive, compersive way. Um, of course, of course. <laughs> um, but holy cow, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely like second, third editions of books. They always yeah. add a little bit more, right? <laughs> oh, I, I have so many ideas. If like this book sells well and Rutledge wants to do a second edition, I have so many ideas. And, you know, one of the things that I, re- I don't regret, I did it as a conscious choice, but I wish I could do more is like, I only focus this book on bi men who are married to women. And so there is like, there's a trans guy in the book. There's a non-binary guy. I'm married to a trans woman, but besides that, there's not a ton of gender diversity. It's all people married to women. There are a lot of bi men married to men and that experience is interesting and unique. There's a lot of bi couples where there's gender diversity and there's non-binary people or trans people. And so that's addition to is like exploring a lot more of that because the only reason I started with bi men married to women is that that's almost 90% of bi men. So, and I didn't want to just like put one bi guy married to a guy in the book, you know, that's would be statistically accurate, but I didn't want to have like one token story. I wanted to just like focus this on where there's the biggest need but mm. now that this is out there, there's there's a need for all the many diverse stories under the bi umbrella. So I guess in closing, where can people find your book and uh, where can people find you? So you can find everything on my website, which is robertbrookscohen.com. Robert, B-R-O-O-K-S-C-O-H-E-N. Uh, there's links to the podcast stuff, the book, my coaching practice. So that's everywhere. You can also just search bisexual married men on Amazon, on Rutledge, on, on Bookshop. It should come up. It's, uh, it's coming up pretty quickly these days. So you can find the book wherever you shop for books. And the podcast is Two Bye Guys. You can go to twobyguys.com. You can also go to robertbrookscohen.com. Or you can just search Two Bye Guys wherever you listen to podcasts. We're basically everywhere. And there's always links in the show notes to the book and everything else we talk about and stuff like that. You can also look in the show notes for this podcast and you will find all the links that uh, he just went through <laughs> so that yeah. we, we, we can push you as hard as possible. Yes. <laughs> Yay. Amazing. Thank you so very much for joining us today. This has been exciting. It's been a delight. It's been an education highly recommend people going out, finding this book, finding your podcast, and then watching and consuming your media because we need more lighthouses out there. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. 
Yeah, I just want to say thank you guys so much. I I know you guys have been doing the bi podcasting thing longer than longer than me and probably almost anyone. And I remember when we started ours, seeing yours there and just like wanting to add to it and but loving what you guys do. And I've listened for years. So thanks for having me. It was really nice. Thank you. We're geriatric buys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You've been doing it eight years. That's like uh, eternity. I know, right? In the the buy world. We're no longer buy twinks. I'm sorry. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> you're, bi- you're a bi daddy now. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> Excellent. So we had to end it there. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. But there might be a part two someday. There may be. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully there will be. Yes. So I hope you enjoyed our interview with Robert Brooks Cohen. You can find him. We'll have links in the show notes to him and to his book. And to his podcast. Yes. And the book again is Bisexual Married Men, Stories of Relationships, Acceptance, and Authenticity. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk with us. And uh, thank you, listener at home, for taking the time out of your week to listen to us. You can join us on our Discord by supporting us at any level on patreon.com slash by the by podcast. You can message us. We are the Adams of love at gmail.com or you can hit us up on any of our socials. We are at by the by podcast on Instagram and the Facebook or go to www.bythebuy.com and uh, go to the contact page and you can reach out and get in touch with us. We'll see you next week when uh, we decide, I don't know, something sexy to talk about. (laughs) See you next week. See you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.